0: This is our fourth week as we consider 1 John and the question of knowing God. And uh, this week, at having looked at God as spirit and love and light this week, we look at God personally as a person. Let's bow in prayer. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we pause to honor and praise you, to thank you. It is right to do. You are so deserving. We ask the question of who you are. You told Moses, I am who I am. As humans, we're so used to looking for mothers and fathers, and we don't know yours. Because there was none. Where you're from, what you did. What you did, you created us. You created the world in the beginning. And that's a call to faith. But so often we we respond like the comedian who was Noah and And we cry out, no, who is this really? We fail to see the revelation that you give us as you come to us in so many ways. But More importantly today, Father, not as a light or as a spirit or any other concoction that our human brains might come up with in our confused state, saying, no, who is this really? Help us to answer that question. Help us to know you personally. I am is a person. And you will always be through all time. Bless John, with your Holy Spirit, open our hearts that we might answer this question more fully. In the Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: All right then, good morning. How's the uh, microphone sound for you all? Come on in, you're not late. Happy to see every one of you. There are some tables and uh, chairs up here. I know it's close to me, but I promise not to do anything weird today. Well, uh, I'm very glad to see all of you. And, you know, in the life of a teacher, uh, there comes Joanne. There's your guy right there. (laughs) There are times when you come to certain topics, subjects, uh, that, frankly, are mind blowing and th- that 's what this week has been for me I mean i it's been all the time in a lot of ways because I think about God frequently just because of uh, what I think God has called me to do and be but this week in particular was uh, very very meaningful and if there's ever a time in which we truly need much more than a human teacher, it's when we broach this topic and that is God's personality, God as person. We really need the grace and illumination of the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father to help us. So I I want to open your hearts I want you to open your hearts to that reality today and ask the Lord to teach you as we study together. I'll try to stay out of the way. And um, also, I really want you to be able to ask questions. Uh, this is one uh, uh, topic that you will hear many, many, many people say when I asked questions about it, I was told it 's just a mystery, and you just have to what 's the last part? Just you just have to have faith and uh, this is told to teenagers on a, on a number of the crucial uh, issues that Christians face as they begin to think and develop and wonder what it is that I really have gotten into when I say that I'm a Christian, there's certain topics uh, that are mind-blowing, and this is one of them, the nature of God as a person, a personality, and even beyond that, more, as we will see as we study together. So I really want to encourage you, please ask questions. We're all working on this together, and there is no human being that has... It all together so we can learn together in a community, and that's the best way to do it. So having said that, uh Dan already kind of gave you a little synthesis. We've learned a number of things about God in this course. So let's just review them a little bit. God is agape, first John 4, and uh God is light, and also God is spirit. So we've put those three together and come up with a conclusion that God is a non bounded, eternal, doesn't have a body beyond ethnicity, beyond a genealogy, <laughs> beyond gender, beyond. Remember from John 4, the interview at the well with the woman, beyond space and place, because she thought it was so important, what, that the Samaritans worshipped in their mountain and the Jews worshipped in Jerusalem, and what did the Master say? That's not relevant anymore. Those who worship God must worship God in spirit and truth because God is spirit. So the God that we've encountered who is a spirit is beyond place, space, religion, time, gender, ethnicity. It's both beautiful and mind-shattering. And the essential attributes of this cosmic eternal spirit are a synthesis of love and light. Holiness and love. And we saw in the course so far what is the ultimate, absolute, final statement of God that resolves the tension between God being holy and so holy that God can have nothing to do with sin and then this other dimension or attribute of God as God and that is God's love. The tension, God loves us and yet at the same time God to be just must Pronounce sin to be sin. What is the ultimate resolution, synthesis, conclusion of the Bible on this tension? Jesus Christ. Yes, and and how so? Crucified and risen. Crucified and risen. In his death, he was punished for our sins so that God could remain just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Sin was fully punished in the person of Jesus and at the same time with arms wide open the master is the example of God's love to us come to me and all will be well your sins will be forgiven you can come back home so this is exciting to me when I think about it and that's the kind of God we love and serve now if we just stop there though if we didn't get into Jesus too much there's A lot of people in the world who believe that God is a spirit and God is loving and God is light. Like who? Like who believes that? Jews? Jews? You said hesitantly. Of course the Jews. (laughs) What's the whole, whole Older Testament about? Book of Leviticus, seven times God says to the Jews, be holy for I am holy pounded it into the Jewish mind I am unique I'm distinct I have no sin and the whole elaborate system of sacrifices that was given to the Jewish people was designed to pound that into their head I am, a, I am distinct from you sinful people you need to recognize that uh, does, do the, does the Jewish Bible ever talk about God being a God of love You think so?
0: You
1: <laughs> <Just about> know, <sure. laughs> uh, how much in the Psalms are the psalmists talking about how God loves us and how we, we can love God? Think of any classic text? I mean, the Older Testament talks about God being a God of love, right? Can't you think of any? Can you see? Song of Solomon is uh, largely regarded to be a metaphorical expression of the love between a uh, human and God as the soul and God. God is a God of love in the Old Testament.
0: Truly, and mercy will follow me all the days of my life.
1: How about what Jonah said? <laughs> I love this. And those of you who are going to Israel, we're going to stand right there in Joppa at the house that is reputed to be the house that, in the area where Jonah took off from. What did he say to God after he came up out of the uh, whale and the city of Jonah was saved? What was his response? I knew this was going to happen <laughs> because you are a God of mercy and compassion and loving kindness. Kassad. The Hebrew word of, of love. He knew God was a God of love and he was mad because he wanted the um, Ninevites to what? What did, what did Jonah want? Love and light. He wanted, he wanted the, the blazing holiness and justice of God to fall down on the Ninevites and just wipe them off the face of the earth. That's what they deserved. Instead, they got God as love. And he knew that about God before it happened. That's why he didn't want to go in the first place because he knew if I go and tell these people, this God that I serve, this God of love is going to work on their hearts and he's going to find a way to do what? Save them if it's possible. Isn't that amazing? So it's no problem. Are there any other people in the world that believe that God is a spirit who is both love and light? (laughs) How many people is that of the world population today? Muslims. Did you say growing every day? Yes. How many total right now? About a billion and a half people. Wow. 25 to 30% of the world's population believes in a book called the Quran. If you read that book, anybody read it? Anybody looked into it? Just a couple of you. You turned a page and then dropped it. Okay. Well, we don't read it because the same reason that they don't read the New Testament. Why? Yeah, it it doesn't seem relevant, but the, the Muslims that read the Quran, they find in there, over and over and over, the repetitive phrase, in the name of Allah, the merciful. Over and over and over again, the notion of God being merciful and also just is pounded all the way through the Quran. You can explain that however you want from their point of view. The Quran obviously is God's, Allah's correction to the corruptions that are in the Jewish and Christian Bible. From the Christian point of view, the Quran is a, a borrowing and a reworking of themes that were taken from the Jewish and Christian Bible and shot through the prism of Muhammad's mind. You don't like that hypothesis? I know, but that's that's those are the two things. But when we look at the Quran and we look at the Bible in this controversy that we have in our society today, did you notice it's starting to pick up? Uh, Do we worship the same God? Have you seen this in the news? Do we worship the same God? Do Muslims and Christians worship the same God? Have you guys seen this? Yeah. Okay, well, the thing is, I mean, you read the Quran, you read the New Testament, in the Jewish Bible, and you say, yeah, there's a lot of commonalities there. They all testify that God exists. They all testify that God is a God of mercy and love. They all testify that God is a God of light and justice. So there's many commonalities, but there's also radical differences. And so (coughs) uh, the question is, is is it a different God, or is it the perceptions of humans as they're interacting with the one God that is that's causing the difference? But my point to you is what? This is not, like I could go to a mosque and talk about God being light and love and most Muslims wouldn't be offended. And I can go to the synagogue and talk about God being a God of light and love and most Jews aren't going to be offended. But when we come to the Christian uh, revelation today, we find out that God, the God of the New Testament, the God of (coughs) Jesus is uniquely different than these other visions of God. It is monotheistic, but it's also got a twist to it that is kind of mind-shattering. And so let's get our minds shattered here together as we study this. Now, I want to tell you first that when we start talking about the Trinity, the triune nature of God, God, what's the hymn that you sing frequently in this church? God in three persons blessed trinity so somebody had I don't know who wrote that song but somebody wrote that song and they condensed and reduced uh, seriously like maybe about 1500 years of Christian theology and they put it down into a hymn that we can sing over and over and over again to try to get the essential thing God in three persons, persons blessed trinity and since that time when we've told people well God is three personalities or three persons uh, most people when they hear that initially they say well that doesn't make any sense to me because I thought there was only one God right because the Bible says hero Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one and we're monotheist right so what was about the uh, three persons three gods tritheism uh, very confusing to people so <clears throat> when uh, people are starting to hear about the God of the, Bi- of the Bible as being triune they r- raise lots of questions we already talked about what happens to many times many times when people ask questions about this how can God be three in one uh, somebody says well I'll tell you what I'll give you a an analogy and that will help you understand the triune nature of God so tell me, what are some of the cool analogies that have been proffered to you as the. Here it is, get this, and you'll understand the Trinity. Yes, sir? Ice, water, steam. <laughs> Thank you. The classic ice, water, and steam. They all share, um, they're all H2O, but they are manifested in three different forms. Good analogy to the Trinity? Uh, okay, there's a good one that breaks down a little bit on that because they can't simultaneously be in those three forms.
0: Sure, they can if you take all the water in the world.
1: Well, okay, th- you just illustrated what one of my professors said. Uh, all analogies break down, therefore, don't make them walk on all fours. <laughs> so, um, <coughs> yes, analogies can only carry so weight, so much weight. But no, it's not a good analogy because it doesn't uh, capture the the notion that the water is changing into something else and leaving behind its older manifestation, whereas, of course, the doctrine of the Trinity says what? God is simultaneously Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're not shifting. They're not changing faces or forms. It's not taking on a mask and saying, today I'll be to you the Father, and today I'll be the Son. No, they're actually coexisting together. What's another great analogy for the Trinity? Tree. I okay, I don't know if I've ever heard this one. Okay, a tree. The the
0: roots, the trunk, and the branches.
1: Roots, trunk, and branches. I don't think it's a great one. It isn't a very good one. So <laughs> 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 I've heard
0: it
1: a lot. Every time not that I'm taking. not it's not your fault. You just cited it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've heard it a lot. Well, we're about to to we're about leave, so ah, you could work it. However, you can milk them out. However That's you really want. But weird. what are some of the cla- Another classic uh, analogy. Uh, how, how so the apple? Um, the skin, the, the meat and the meat, All right, so it has three parts to it, but it's still one apple. But it fails again because the seed and the meat and the skin are constitutionally the same thing, but they're not really persons. So the problem, yes, sir? But the life is in that seed. Again, you can... Try to work it, but in the end, it's never going to work out, because why not? There is no there, why is there no analogy? Because God's unique. Because God is unique. Where's my gold star book? <laughs> for stars. unique. Mm-hmm. My grandmother, who was a real stickler for gram- grammar, it, what used to frustrate her when people would say, that's really unique and it was like a button would get pushed in her head. I've heard her do this about 50 times. There is no such thing as really unique. Unique is unique. <laughs> the meaning of unique is unique. There's only one, not really or somewhat unique. No, it's either unique or not. Unique means one and only. So no analogy works. Now see, at the, the mighty Christian minds of, of the church, and I'm gonna today focus on this guy, For this part of the discussion, Thomas Aquinas. Who is he?
0: Uh,
1: Old Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) An old Italian dead white guy, yeah, right. (laughs) Recognized by the Roman Catholic Church as? Well, yes, a saint, but uh, not just a theologian the theologian, the teacher. He is the teacher. Uh, He lived in the 1200s. He summarized a thousand years of Christian theology. He wrote a book called the Summa Theologica. Uh, It's fantastic for insomnia. (laughs) And it's also fantastic for a lot of good theology. And he said in the Summa Theologica, there's only three ways that you can talk about anything You can talk about things univocally. Una, unique, one to one, meaning when you speak this way, you use a word and you say there's a direct correspondence between the word that you use and the object that you're referring to. That's univocal language. There's no ambiguity, we all understand what it is. And so therefore, this is a marker. marker. So we all understand that there's a one-to-one relationship between the word we use and the object we're referring to. You agree this is a marker? (laughs) So that's univocal language. There's another way we talk. Um, Sorry. Equivocally, now what's an equivocator? An equivocator, a judge! Equivocation! Uh, It's it's without certainty. There's ambiguity here. It could be taken multiple different ways. In the classic uh, literature, that's known as a semantic amphiboly. When you say something and you don't know, you can take it either way uh, linguistically. Uh, Also in the negative sense, equivocation is used in a court of law for what? It's a mild and civilized way of saying that somebody is what? Either lying or in some way creating an impression about a certain set of facts that's misleading, if it's not a blatant lie, perhaps by leaving something out, or somehow putting a little twist to it. So, equivocation is misleading communication or ambiguous communication. Do we ever want to use that kind of communication when we speak about God? Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> <God>. no, no. <laughs> well, sure, we use equivocation all the time as human <coughs> beings. Um, and the whole legal process is to get through the equivocation and get to what, judge? Truth. The truth. Okay. So Thomas Aquinas says, look, don't talk about God this way, falsely, and unfortunately, we can't talk about God this way, because why? Because our words can never fit in a one-to-one relationship with the God who is, and why is that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, you're, you're starting to... He's God and we're not. Okay, he's, God is God and we're not. And God, what do we... God is unique. God is beyond. God is... A, well, Anselm, one of the great Christian theologians in the Middle Ages, defined God as... Does anyone know it? Anselm. God is that which nothing greater can be conceived. What is God? It is that which... Nothing greater can be conceived. So conceive away. And when you get to the end of your conceptions, God is beyond that. And so uh, when the Bible talks about God, I remember I used to show this uh, passage to some students at Malone's campus. controversy about smoking would come up. Psalm Uh, 18, describes God as descending to the earth with smoke coming out of God's nostrils. And I made, I thought the very good observation that that, if that's true, if that's literally true, then God wouldn't be allowed to be on the campus. (laughs) Right? And the students said, "Wow, that's not literal. I said, thank you. This Psalm is describing God like a dragon as a picture, it's not to be taken univocally. God's not a dragon with smoke pouring out of his nose. And we don't wanna, you know, we don't wanna mess around with it and get into a a misleading understanding of it. And so therefore, Aquinas said, the only thing that's left when we talk about God is the use of analogy. And what is analogy? It's a comparison. When you say, using Anna again, logos to say, to say again about one thing in reference to another and to make this notion that these two things have something in common. So you can use analogies when you talk about all kinds of things and especially Aquinas said, that's really the only way you can have discourse about God and you then must fully understand that you are only talking in analogies and that the analogies themselves are not to be taken in a, which way? Univocal Univocal way. And that's like a, that's a stage of consciousness because, uh, and I'm not putting anybody down, but many people, when they read the Bible, they read it in the most literalistic sense, strictly literal, and they wind up with certain conclusions about God, For example, when I go into churches and I see uh, a picture of the great throne of judgment, and usually on there is what? (laughs) Yes, a male. Of what sort? The old white. Old Italian guy. An old Italian guy again. Yeah, they keep popping up all through history. Okay. If you're at a state as you have consciousness and that worked for you and it was an icon that somehow penetrated your consciousness and it helped you have faith, fine. God bless you. We're not gonna begrudge somebody from 562 AD that couldn't even read, that stumbled into a church, looked up there and and got a vision of something that they could relate to. But what do we tell our kids? What have we told our kids about certain things, like when they get to a certain age and the arguments start about how words are interpreted in and the meaning? Mi- uh, <clears throat> no, 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 you don't have to have faith. No, isn't it true that we understand our kids can only grasp X, Y, Z at a certain level, even though they think they do? So we condition and accommodate and tell them things. Uh, now that we know are not literally true, right? And what are we doing? As they're ready, we're revealing more truth until finally they can come into what is called an adult understanding of God. That's what God's been doing through the ages. So now we we don't have to, we can dispense with the God on the throne and all of that and understand it's a picture. We know God's a spirit. And so now we get to what is, more accurate, more understanding, and it's all an analogy. So when we're talking about God, we're always supposed to remember what? I'm doing my very best to convey to you what God has said about God, what God has revealed to us about God, but we have to understand while we're doing this talking that we're talking in what? Analogies. Analogies. And those analogies are pointing to a reality that is beyond our words. And so if whatever analogy works for you, you step on the analogy, you walk on the analogy, but the destiny is not to sit there and deconstruct the analogy for ever and ever, it's to use the analogy to what end? Growth. Growth. Uh, yes. Understand. Understand. Uh, into a relationship with the God and the persons of God to whom the analogies are pointing. In other words, stepping into the experience of knowing God personally. That's what the analogies are for, not to argue. Now, here's another problem with the Trinity. No analogy works. Math does not work either because what, do, what are we told when we start talking about the Trinity? What are some of the formulations that we say? One plus one plus one is one. One plus one plus one is one? Uh, Uh, three in one, immediately the rational, empirical, scientific, and mathematical brain when hearing this, what happens? You say, that can't be. It doesn't make logical sense. And believe me, I mean, I have talked, not that I'm, you know, (laughs) the reference source here, but I mean, I have talked to dozens if not hundreds of people who have told me, that that in and of itself, that mathematical understanding of God is three in one, when you understand it mathematically, was so disturbing to them that they concluded, it, this is like some mystical mumbo jumbo that doesn't make any sense to me, and therefore how can I have, how can I have faith in something that just doesn't make sense? As, have you talked to anybody? Have you heard this? Com- it, then does that, does that know everything? Who, the person that's as- asking that question? Yeah. No, it, they're not yeah, claiming... It doesn't mean that those things they don't know exist. I know, but when somebody tells another human being something that is outside of the range of understanding or doesn't make sense to the other person, they're not claiming to be omniscient. They're just saying, this makes no sense to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I remember, and this is not to be deprecatory at all, but I remember laying out um, in Africa with one of my brothers. We went out uh, outside of the dormitory, we laid out on the grass, and we were looking at the stars, and in that point, part of Africa, it was just mind-boggling, and uh, hardly any city lights. <coughs> and so I tried to explain to him the amazing thing, but you know that light that's coming to us... Um, it's so far away that one of those stars could have fallen out of the sky, and we wouldn't even know it, and we wouldn't know it. In other words, I was trying to explain to him the relativity of light and how light travels. And we're not. And actually, wh- when we look at the stars, what are we looking at? What was? We're looking at the past. Have you ever tried this? Have you ever laid out in the stars and looked at it and said, "I'm looking at the past." Because when we look at it, we think intuitively, just naturally, what are we looking at? What's really there? Even when you look at the sun. If the sun fell out of the sky, how long would it take before you knew it? Eight minutes. That's weird. So, (coughs) there's a lot of things when you hear them, your first reaction. What was his reaction? What do you think? That makes no sense. What are you talking about? He thought it was nonsense. So when you talk about the Trinity as a mathematical formulation, it doesn't work because when the Bible says, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, it's not making a mathematical statement. What kind of a statement is it making? Like, if they would have consulted me on the translation, I would have said, translate it, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is. Unique. What? Unique! unique. <laughs> yes! And then later on, when we explain to people, now it just so turns out to be that the unique and only God is constituted with three personalities within the uniqueness of that deity, it would have bypassed. Do you see how it would bypass the math- mathematical hurl- hurdle? Now you're just saying the only God that is, the unique God that does exist, happens to have three personalities united by a divine and common nature. Does that make it go down a little easier?
0: <laughs> yes.
1: In terms of rigid roles. Yes, in,
0: ter- in terms of roles even non-rigid. I mean, the, the, the traits and roles of, of God are unique in that they're infinite.
1: Well, now, this is what happens when you get raised by a pastor. So, the Browns aren't playing today, right? No. Great. (laughs) Go home and Google this word, perichoresis. What does it mean? It's a Greek word that was used by the church fathers to describe the relationship of the three members of the Godhead to one another. And what it means is rotation. Uh, what it means is they rotate around each other they interpenetrate one another, they share everything together in common, and yet, simultaneously, what's true about them? The Father (coughs) is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, and the Spirit is not the Son, and the Spirit is not the Father, (coughs) but they share what? the common divine nature that makes them God. Sometimes Christians use the term interpenetration meaning that there is no boundary between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. They interpenetrate one another but at the same time they retain what? Their unique personalities, which allows them then to communicate with one another while they do this great dance around each other's divine nature. Now, (coughs) where it gets really interesting is, while I agree with you, we've done too much of categorization of God. However, in the triune Godhead, at a certain point in time-space history, one of them did something that the other two did not which was what
0: Became
1: became human and the word which was with god and was god actually became one of us now the father didn't incarnate and the spirit didn't incarnate what they did do was what interpenetrate the one who did incarnate and lived in the one who did incarnate so they shared the human experience with jesus all along but was the fa- one of the church fathers asked was the, was the father crucified was the father with Jesus through the crucifixion yes and I know you're saying why have you forsaken me but at that point in time the sin came on Jesus' conscience, conscience and he lost the realization that he was connected to God but he still was Because why? Because you can't cut God up. Because if you're God, you're God and you stay God forever. So he didn't cease being God when the sin of the world was on him. He ceased having an awareness of God because the sin was on his conscience. So, while there is too much rigidity, we have to recognize some of the historical things about the reality of the christian life that one of the members of the godhead actually became one of us and the purpose and point of doing that was to pull us up now and take us where with him where doesn't
0: matter
1: as long as we're yes it matters <laughs> as long as we're with him it doesn't matter well, oh well now you qualified it as long as we're with him but when you use the term him, who are you referring to? God. So the whole point of the incarnation was to pull us up and take us up into this perichoresis, this interpenetration, to take us into the Trinity, to take us into that relationship and allow us to enjoy that with all three members of the Trinity and then ultimately with who else? This is where it gets the most amazing, the most mind-blowing with who. Yes! If you have the Trinity living inside of you and I have the Trinity living inside of me, theoretically on paper, then we should be able to do what? (laughs) Yeah, we share eternity. We can share the Trinity with each other. That's what the New Testament calls fellowship. Although I like that kind back there with the donuts. <laughs> but that's one stage of fellowship. This one's the sharing of a common life. The trinity livingness. What? This is my way. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> We're talking spiritually, dude. Now go on.
0: <laughs>
1: go ahead. Okay. Yes. Yes. In, 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 in the old testament, there are only in my interpretation, there are only a few people that God was personal to. And he must have decided that it wasn't good enough, so he wanted all of us in there, so he sent Christ. Well, I mean that you of course <laughs> God d- decided that it wasn't good enough, but there's, in this passage that I'm going to refer to in a few minutes, even at the end of three years of being personally tutored by the master teacher rabbi Jesus, he says to his disciples at the final seminar, oh, I have so many things I want to tell you, but, anybody remember the next line? You are not yet ready for them. So what does that tell you? After three years of intensive discipleship, the disciples themselves are not ready for the next phase of what the Lord, when he knows they're not ready. So let's back up, Dr. Smith. So the entire human race that has lived prior to that, uh, when God's been revealing God to the human race, not just to the Jewish people, but to God, their understanding has been what? Much less, Less limited. And so it's just been this slow uh, dawning of human beings down through the ages until we get to the climax in the person of Jesus. And even then at the end, at that point, he says, I can't can't even take you any further. Why? You're not ready for it. However, that was not the end of it. The implication was, as we'll see in a few minutes, when the counselor comes when the Holy Spirit comes when you have this experience with God and me and the Holy Spirit living inside of you then you're going to start getting this stuff so he was like I can't give it to you now I have to wait until you have this experience and then you'll start to get it so it's not that God hasn't (coughs) been trying to be personal it's that human beings weren't really ready to enter into that Well, you have to invite me back for another seminar on that one, but it it goes beyond a mulligan, and I'll tell you why. All these people that live back here, uh, where is God in relationship to time and space? Outside of it, not limited, right? So, when did God know that the human race would fall?
0: When He created us, before He created us. Okay. So,
1: in other words, eternally. Now, this is the cool stuff about God, just thinking about God. So God knew from all eternity we would fall. God didn't look down into the garden one day and see Adam and Eve down there eating apples and say, oh, no. Now what am I going to do? God knew that was going to happen, knew it from eternity. So therefore, then, also, if God knew that from eternity, God would also have to know something else from eternity. Because what's the solution to the fall of humans that we hold as Christians. What's the solution? Backpack. The backpack. Jesus' death, right? So therefore God would have known when about the nature of Jesus' death? When did God know this? Always. Never, never a time that God did not know this. Are you starting to have is your head starting to feel like jello and starting to wobble? Isn't that the most amazing thing? So God has known this from all eternity. So because God, Dr. Smith, is outside of time, now watch this, the death of Jesus is not limited by time. And therefore God sees the death of Jesus as being relevant for all these people that lived back then as well as for all of these people that lived on this side of the cross. Why? Because God sees everything not like we do. How do we see things? Linear. Linear. Past. Present. present, Future. How does God see things? At once. Outside of time. So that solves the problem from God's point of view because God can take the work of Christ and apply it to any which way that he wants to. He's not limited by time. And there's specific conditions that are mentioned in the Bible that apply for those people and the simple answer is how was Abraham uh, made right with God faith. on what grounds and Abraham by faith. he was justified by faith Abraham said Amon I have faith I believe in God and God justified him by the way who was proceeding and who is more important in the story Abraham or Melchizedek Melchizedek is much more important who was Melchizedek no, he wasn't Jesus. He's a type of Jesus, a shadow of Jesus. Who was Melchizedek? What's he called? Priest of God most high. So he knew much more about God. He was a priest of God before Abraham was. If he was a priest of God, then he must have had what? What did Abraham have? How was Abraham made right? Faith. faith. So Melchizedek must have had faith. And if he's a priest, then he must have had what? priests always have <laughs> to be if you're going to be a priest you have to have something else uh, we well, have to have a relationship with God you have to have people you have <laughs> to have followers you have to have people to teach so Melchizedek had a bunch of people that he was tutoring teaching and leading into the path of what faith so God didn't start just with Abraham God was working 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 for anyone who would have faith and when those people had faith sincerely said, Amen, whoever you are, whatever you are, I accept you, I believe in you, God would do what? Take the work of Christ which is outside of time and space and apply it to them even though they would not have fully understood that at the time just like a little baby doesn't understand when you put medicine on its butt and why it needs to be done, but you did what for it? <laughs> you, <laughs> you guys never did this with your babies? You're like looking at you soothed it, but the baby doesn't know. God was soothing and saving those people even though they didn't fully understand the full ramifications of the medicine. Now those of us who live on this side of the cross, we have the benefit of what? We get the soothing and we also get what? If we want it the yeah, understanding of how God is actually working with people.
0: Well, some, that, that don't.
1: some that don't what? They never heard of Christ. That's my point. Yeah, that's and those people heard? back there that did not hear of Christ, because they couldn't have, obviously what did God do for them? If they met the condition of heart faith to the degree that they could... God took the blood and work of Christ and applied it to them, even if they didn't fully understand it. What about the people on this side of the cross? Is God going to be more mean and harsh on this side after Christ has come for all these people that have never heard? So, God can put the work of Christ on people on the condition of faith, provided that it's sincere. I'm I'm answering this question because I know it's a bothersome thing to you, but I want you to see the magnitude of God's... I know, right. So God is a God who works beyond our knowledge. Is my point. God's God. God's plans. God loves everybody. God's working with everybody. Yes. I think. I think probably the most important thing. Is that people well, perfect. And that's, of course, correct. Yeah, and what's the, uh, what's the response that the God of the Bible wants from a human? Faith to the degree that you can. And it doesn't mean just intellectual acquiescence. It means a heartfelt response and surrender to God to the extent that you can. So to the extent that a human does that, to that extent God can have a relationship with them. Well, that would be their choice. So, let me move on just before we run out of time. No analogy works to the Trinity. Math does not work. So, the next question is, (laughs) what does work? How is God going to help us? Now, if you could write these down real quick, because I can absolutely guarantee we're not getting through them. This all comes from the Gospel of John. These passages. And what I'm going to do is explain to you conceptually because of the time that we have here today, loss of time, what the Master did for the disciples at this final seminar. And my recommendation would be to read John 13-17 through multiple times in the near future. And one of the things that you're going to see, which is very shocking is that Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. Sometimes he calls the Holy Spirit by a title. Anyone remember what it is? The paraclete. The paraclete that's the English transliteration of the Greek. It means one called alongside to help. The English translation of paraclete is often what? Counselor, advocate, or the comforter, all work. But when he doesn't use the title paraclete or comforter, he uses the personal pronoun when referring to the Holy Spirit, he, which I need to amend in a minute. But just just leave it, forget about the gender. When you use a personal pronoun, he, instead of, why didn't he say, well, when it comes... He I'm sorry, oh I made a mistake. When it comes, it will lead you into all the truth. Why didn't Jesus say it that way? Why did he use the personal pronoun? Because it's a person. Because the Holy Spirit is a personality, not an it. But the problem is in the modern world, we got away with calling the Holy Spirit He for a long time until what happened? Certain stages of evolutionary consciousness began to uh, come about, and certain people begin to ask questions about, like, is God really a male? And when they drilled into it, they found out what? What well, does the Bible really teach? Is God a male? No. no. So then we're like stuck, and so then we went through this whole thing. What are we going to do? How are we going to talk about God as being personal without assigning gender? So I submitted my uh, <coughs> suggestion. Shahi as the way to talk about a person but not their gender. It was universally rejected by the Ma- Modern Language Association. They had nothing to do with my idea. But for the rest of the day, I'm going to try to talk about it this way. Shahi, Why? Because when, the ho- when Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as he, he's not talking about gender, but what's he referring to? Person. Personality. Not in it. Now, why is this important? How much money did this movie make? So far, just released. If I'm not mistaken, they crested the one billion mark already. Do you understand the staggering power of that figure? Do you understand the staggering power of the dark side? (laughs) The power of the force? A billion dollars? Okay, Star Wars. George Lucas specifically, he's on record, he said, I wrote this because I wanted to change the worldview paradigm that was basically imprisoning the West. This monotheism I wanted to put an alternative worldview out there for people to relate to. So he wrote the Star Wars saga to teach a worldview. Oh, and also to make money. But those of you who don't know anything about the Star Wars, you should try to look into it. What is the Force? It's energy. Is it a person? Can you talk to it? You can, but it won't talk back. Can you love the force? Not really, because it doesn't love back. It just is. It's the universal energy force and field that animates the universe that if you're hip enough and have a teacher like Yoda, you can learn to tap into it just like Richard back there is doing what with electricity? Tapping into it, working it, manipulating Are you talking to that elec- electricity? I'm right here. <laughs> you, you're not talking to the electricity because why?
0: <laughs> it doesn't
1: listen. It's, an it. it's an it. You're using it. The force can be used, but not not a relationship. Harry Potter. What's the thesis of this book? Of the story, of the saga. Another billion-dollar impact. Teaching people what? That instead of a force field, you can learn to do what? Control... Physical phenomenon, events, and whatnot through what is called magic, the manipulation of magical forces. Do you talk to them? You have a relationship? Is God involved in this whole thing? No, it's depersonalized energy. Now think about it our world is getting inundated with what kind of worldviews. I'm not here to make a negative statement. I'm trying to analyze, illustrate. What are kids hearing? They can control their world. If you get the right technology, spiritually, you can control your own world and gain power through magical forces, powers, or... There's some sort of mystical energy force that's flowing around in the universe that you can learn to tap into. Ah, the kids don't really believe that. Oh, yes, they do. (coughs) These are alternative worldviews. What is different about the Christian faith (coughs) is what? Well, you can't control this force. In fact, it's not a force. God is... In fact, God is three persons sharing a common deity. So the master takes the disciples on this journey, referring to the Holy Spirit over and over and over again as shahi. Until the disciples are finally like, wow, they get to this final stage and the Lord winds up telling them that I and the Father are and the Spirit are all going to come and live inside of you now just based on the inductive discoveries that you'll make when you read it we find out what that the the Christian is now going to have what three distinct personalities living inside of them how many of you really have heard this before that if you're a Christian God the Father lives inside of you isn't that strange to think of that Because we think of God the Father living where? In heaven. heaven. And where's (laughs) Jesus? (laughs) With him on a chair. But instead the master said, no, I'm not on a chair, where am I? I'm going to be living inside of you. And in addition, who else is going to live inside of you? The The Holy Spirit. So a Christian is a person who is indwelt by the unique God that is, the only God that is, who happens to be three personalities. And why does God want us to know this? Yes, just so that we can know God as God really is. God wants to disclose God to us as fully as we can appreciate and know God. God will take us as far as we want to go. And some people get to a certain point with this kind of stuff and they say what? Too much, too too complicated. And that's okay if you feel that way. God will let you alone for a while. (laughs) And then God will come back to you because God's nature is always what? I want to give you the best. What is the best? God, So therefore, I'm going to give myself to you as fully as I can and as fully as you want. And we come to the conclusion that God is triune. All right, uh, I'm out of time, so I have two minutes for questions. Go ahead. You know, if, if God weren't spirit, how could he divide it up in six billion people? Exactly. The, one of the most beautiful things about God not being localized in a body is that God is un- understandably then capable of being with us all simultaneously. Uh, that's why um, the, the incarnation was an amazing thing because God, one of the persons of the Trinity, Actually, localized himself in a body and what did the disciples say when he kept telling them in that final seminar well I'm, I'm actually going to be leaving now I'm going to be leaving you and their response was what no no what do you mean you're leaving and, he, and then he to them, no actually it's going to be much better for you when I go because when I go and leave you physically then I'm going to do what, is it, what did he tell them then I'm going to come back along with the Father, along with the Counselor, and we're all going to live inside of you, and we're going to live in each one of you, and we're going to live in all of you simultaneously. Why is that better than Jesus standing out in the hallway ready to sign your ball cap or whatever other memorabilia that you want uh, on the way to church? Why is it better to have... You, you can say it that way, we all get a piece of him. <laughs> because when you walk into school, they can't leave him out. Oh, you, you can't bar him from school, no, because he's inside of the students. Yes? I a question. Yes. Uh, from early childhood, I rejected fiction of all kinds. And this this Star Wars and uh, Harry Potter. Harry <clears throat> Potter. I don't want to make that statement today. What I wanted to do is show you a contrast. I don't want to put a moral category on it today. These are clearly what? Depersonalized viewpoints, meaning there's something beyond nature or interpenetrated in nature that you and I can learn to manipulate, but not prayed to, worshipped, or obeyed. That's what's being taught to people. I don't want to put a label on it I want you to think about it in contrast to that and because people are hungry no one wants to live in an atheistic universe we all want to believe that there's something beyond just the nuts and bolts of everyday life by us right is there something else sure there's magic is there something else yes there's the force now in contrast to that we come over here to the Christian vision and the the answer is is there something else yeah what is what is that something else God isn't a force, God's not a power, and God's not magic. But God is a person and personal, and you can know God. That's two different worldviews. <coughs> it like it's, it's not an analogy, because it's not trying to explain God. It's in And the only way, you'll never, we're never going to be ex- able to explain God. Jesus' point is... Go into the experience of knowing the Trinity. That's how you'll learn that God is triune. Yes, sir. Now, does this, this stuff, Star Wars and, and the Harry Potter but does that make it more difficult for our children to connect with God? Yes. Uh, yes, in the sense that it gave them a plausible alternative worldview that distinctly and absolutely rivals and challenges the Christian worldview, and they're not compatible.
0: Uh, and, th- and those give you give the kid the control over their own life
1: rather than a god or a father so uh, god bless you it was great to study with you, Thank you so much. <laughs>